Welcome to a special live edition of Locked on MLB Prospects, where we are, I don't know, stunned, maybe, that Carlos Correa is now a New York Met. You are Locked on MLB Prospects, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first or second listen of the day. Uh, of course, as always happens, we put up an episode that dropped just a couple hours ago talking about winners and losers of free agency. And we had the Giants as a winner for getting Carlos Correa. We had the Mets as a question mark. You know, we didn't give, you know, we, we gave them a, a B minus or a C plus because they just incrementally improved around the margins. And instead, we wake up to the news that Carlos Correa is a New York Met. So let's break down what happened, okay? Best that we can piece together, this is still incomplete information. But as we understand it, Carlos Correa last week agrees to a 13-year, $350 million deal with the San Francisco Giants. So about $26.9 million per year is the AAV. And the way that these things work is they may, like, they're reported by Jeff Passan and all of the other blue checks on Twitter, but the teams don't officially announce these until they've crossed all of the T's and dotted all the I's. One of the big parts of doing that is a physical. You have to get a physical from the team, and you have to pass that physical. So Carlos Correa is scheduled to have that physical on Monday. He meets with the Giants doctors. He has the physical. And the press conferences for Tuesday, it was like 11 a.m. Pacific, so 2 p.m. Eastern. A uh, little bit before time, uh, a little bit before time for the press conference to start, there's word that they had to postpone the press conference because of a medical unresolved medical issue that came up in the physical. Now there's a couple places you can take this conversation and you can ask these questions. Obviously, one of them becomes, uh, is it the back? You'll remember. Carlos Correa famously has had some back issues in the past. I want to say it was 18 and 19 or 19 and 20. He missed some time because of, of back issues. Looking at it, it was, yeah, 2019, he plays in 75 games. 2018, he gets 110 games. Has some of the back issues. And so that's the immediate first question. Because when you say unresolved medical issues, you're not looking at a scenario where it's something like, oh, like we didn't get the test results back from the blood work. Like that's not an unresolved medical issue you postpone the press conference for. It's something more significant. It's something that's a much bigger deal, right? So they postpone the, the physical. Uh, Susan Slusser, one of the beat writers for the Giants, tweets out and reports that uh, as far as we know, it's not the back. So, Brandon, nice question. Do we know what it is yet? Uh, again, from what we know, 
from beat writers and things like that. It's not the back. That's what we've been told. Other than that, we don't really know what it is. And Jeremy has a great comment. I wish we could hear the phone calls after the Giants flag gets. I abs- I would pay good money to hear how that went as far as when they called him, uh, when he called Scott Boris, and when they got working on that. I'd love to know how that went. But at some point in time after that happened, after that was flagged uh, and, and everything happened, Carlos Correa or his agents or somebody calls the New York Mets. Steve Cohen had been very, like, had been involved in trying to get Carlos Correa, spending the money to bring Carlos Correa in. Didn't work out with the Mets, but they had made an offer out there. And so we wake up to 2 or 3 a.m. There was a tweet, a couple tweets dropped, and everybody went out and confirmed it, that Carlos Correa signed a 12-year, or agreed to, not signed, agreed to a 12-year, $315 million deal with the Mets. So that comes out to about $26.25 million. And the thing with this deal, there's a couple interesting parts about this deal. The first one is he does still have to do a physical. Like he still has to go through a physical with the Mets. This is subject to the physical. So obviously something could happen and he could... Uh, he could fail this physical with the Mets, but I feel like they probably know, they probably have an idea of what it was, and they probably in some way are okay with what it is. I would imagine that Carlos Correa's agent and Carlos Correa probably know what it is the Giants saw. I'm sure that the Mets probably understand. And it's really, it's the person who has to be really mad about this outside of the Giants and stuff is Kumar Rocker. Because in the 2021 MLB draft, Kumar Rocker taken in the first round by the Mets. He goes and takes his physical, and they, in essence, fail him on the physical. They say that he's got this elbow issue, and they're not comfortable, and they don't even give him a signable offer uh, to, to join the organization. And so Kumar Rocker has to, has to uh, re-enter the draft the next year and it all worked out for him he got picked in the first round and he got a below slot deal but it all worked out and you know Tosa makes a good point like Kumar Rocker was the big loser in there they actually changed the rules They, they call it the Kumar Rocker rule they changed the rules about medicals and players in the draft where if you submit to pre-draft medical testing and a team selects you, they are required to give you a deal that is, I think, 75%, uh, 65% of the slot value, right? Like, they changed the rules because Kumar Rocker got hosed. And so it's funny for the for the Mets to now go in and say 12 years, $315 million, uh, for Carlos Correa. And so what this does financially, real quick, I want to point out how interesting this is now. So... Uh, a lot of the websites that track payroll and things like that have not yet updated with the New York Mets' new signing of Carlos Correa. But doing the math on the payroll, the actual payroll figure that is being paid right now is $384 million in salary by the Mets. The Mets are then paying $111 million in luxury tax this season. And so, so 
combined, the Mets outlay in salary costs this year is $495 million. So $111 million in tax penalties, 384 in payroll. Before this deal, the average total payroll in MLB, for you know, when you look at all 30 teams, the average payroll is $110 million. So the Mets payroll is number one. The Mets luxury tax bill is number 15 as far as salary. And it's something where, you know, to make a good point, the Mets don't believe in the luxury tax. Steve Cohen doesn't care about the luxury tax. Steve Cohen is one of the richest, uh, well, the richest owners in baseball. He is worth double-digit billions of dollars. And he says, we're going to spend the money required to win championships and to win titles. And so this gets, real briefly, before we jump into some of these prospects and what happens to these guys, I've already seen calls this morning for MLB needs a salary cap. So here are the opposing forces at play when you try to figure out a salary cap. Uh, The Major League Baseball uh, owners want a salary cap because they don't want, they don't want Steve Cohen to just go buy everybody. I mean, they, they are against what he is doing dramatically enough where they actually instituted a new level of tax penalties. And we call it the Steve Cohen tax. Like there's a fourth level of, of uh, competitive balance tax penalties that they put in there for Steve Cohen. And he's blown past that one too. But the, the major league baseball players association is also against a salary cap because they like the idea of some of the star, the best of the best players being able to get virtually unlimited compensation. Look at Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander. They're both getting over $40 million a year. It is absolutely insane. And so there was an opportunity to add in a salary cap in the negotiations when they were negotiating during the lockout. And uh, the Players Association said no because the executive committee of the players, which was full of guys like a Max Scherzer, want the the unlimited spending potential with of not having a salary cap. This, this right here, this deal, uh, and what the Mets are doing is the exact reason why they did not want a salary cap. Now, at the same time, To get a salary cap, I think you need to have a salary floor. The flip side of this, and, you know, Pedro makes a good point here. Let's be real. Owners have the money. They don't want to invest in their teams. Look at San Francisco. I mean, there are many teams who have a payroll right now of under $65 million. When I look at uh, SpotTrack's payroll right now, there are 11 teams that have a payroll under $65 million. The Oakland Athletics have a payroll of $22,500,000. The Baltimore Orioles payroll is, it's gone up. It was at $30 million to end last season. It has gone up a bit. But these payrolls are very, very low on purpose because so many of of these teams, these owners, are happy to just collect revenue sharing payments this year everybody gets an extra i think 10 million dollars from the sale of mlb advanced media to disney and so they're happy to just collect these 
these payments and not spend the money on payroll. You're supposed to spend revenue sharing money on improving the major league product. But that is big enough where you can go out and you can spend money on on force plates and pitching development and other off-the-field things instead of just salaries. And I think the only way to fix this and to get a salary cap would be to institute a salary floor. And I just don't see the owners ever agreeing to a salary floor unless they are required to do it from outside the league. Look at the NFL. Uh, There are a few NFL owners, not many, but a few NFL owners who do not have a ton of cash. The the Oakland Raiders or the, the Las Vegas Raiders are commonly considered to be one of those teams that that don't have a ton of cash, and yet they still spend most of the way to the salary cap because you have a cap and a floor, and you're required to spend the money anyway. So, or else you just don't get your revenue sharing from the league, and so they might as well go ahead and do it. So, salary cap and salary floor is the way to fix this for everybody. But in the meantime, this is kind of the situation we're in where you have teams like the Mets who are going to spend almost $500 million this year versus teams like the Royals who will spend under 40 or the A's who will spend under 25 In just a minute, I want to get to what happens to New York's prospects because you've got a lot of third baseman shortstops and things like that in this system. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there. I have not gone to look to see if they have adjusted the World Series odds yet. So you may be able to go out right now to BetOnline.net and make a pretty good deal at Mets World Series odds before they adjust it for adding in the second best player in free agency in Carlos Correa. So. Uh, fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more because bet online is where the game starts. Okay, a lot of comments in the chat about, yes, um, the, the, the floor needs to happen. And I absolutely agree. If, I'm, if I single-handedly can fix baseball, I am putting in a salary cap and a salary floor. And the floor and the cap are tied to specific metrics. and they will rise together and they will fall together. And I am requiring teams to be under them within a certain number of years. And then I, and then that is the way to fix baseball. But again, it, it, it feels like it will be very tough to get them to agree to it. Almost to the point of you'd have to have an outside force make it happen. But let's talk about some of these prospects for a second. Because you have Francisco Lindor at short. You have Carlos Correa. I would assume Carlos Correa would move to third base versus moving Francisco Lindor into second. I don't absolutely know that. If you're a Mets fan and you have a feeling of what they would do and you're in here, go ahead and drop it in the chat. But my first first guess would be Jeff McNeil plays second base, Carlos Correa at third, Lindor at short. And shout out to Fangraphs for already having that updated. I I just pulled up Fangraphs and they already have Carlos Correa batting second, playing third base. Uh, But looking at the prospects that are hurt by this, the biggest loser in this entire deal is third baseman Brett Beatty. Jeremy nailed it right there in the chat. 
Uh, Brett Beatty is the most affected prospect. I actually had him the other day as the player most likely to get called up by the Mets and be on the roster on opening day. Uh, so 2019 first rounder out of high school. He uh, he got 89 games in double A last year. Little bit in triple A, little bit in the bigs, but had an elbow injury. At, hit a home run in his first game. I had him in fantasy for that. And then got an elbow injury, missed the rest of the season. But in double A last year, 312, 406, 544, 19 home runs, 41 extra base hits, 46 walks to 98 strikeouts and 205 on stolen bases. Now, looking at what he does, he's played left field for 11 games in the minors. And his foot speed, he's not, he's a little bit slower than average. I'd give him probably a 45 grade as far as speed. But I do think there is an opening for Brett Beatty to play left field. He's got a plus arm. He's going to be one of those. He's going to be one of those those offensive first left fielders. The defense is probably going to hover forty five to maybe fifty grade. But then obviously, um, he's going to be out there to hit bombs and and do that. Looking in the chat, a couple of people have said. I think Calvin points this out. Uh, Correa said he would move to third if he got to play with Lindor. So, kind of answers that question. You're looking at uh, Correa at third and Lindor at short. But Brett Beatty, I see him as moving to left field is the most likely outcome. And now I don't necessarily know if you have time for him to adjust to left field to open the season. I think it may be something where he can do a little bit of practice. Spring training, he'll be doing that. You Now you probably start him off in the minors, let him learn left field, and then he takes over from Mark Canna uh, probably right after the Super 2 deadline and, and spends most of the year up as the left fielder. Uh, somebody else had this in the chat. I think, it was, uh, I think it was Jeremy. I do agree that Francisco Alvarez is now the prospect that you're most likely to have come up and start the season. Looking at a situation where uh, DH has been an issue. Obviously, you traded last year and you tried to piece it together, platoon a DH role between Daniel Vogelback and Darren Ruff. Both of those guys are back, but Ruff is a first baseman and a left fielder. And so somebody's going to be expendable. Canna or Ruff is going to be expendable once Beatty comes up. But I do absolutely see Francisco Alvarez now as breaking, uh, breaking camp with the Mets and working in as the DH while uh, Beatty is in the minors, adjusting to left field. Another guy, I don't think this actually affects him a ton, but another third-base prospect in the system, Mark Vientos, 2017 second rounder out of high school. And he's still listed as a third baseman almost everywhere, but I see him as being a first baseman in a DH. So I don't necessarily think this affects him that much. Kind of refresher on what he did last year. 101 games in AAA, 280, 358, 519, 24 home runs, 41 extra base hits, 44 walks to 122 strikeouts, over two on stolen bases. He's got a good arm, but speed's below average. The range is below average. It really feels like he's going to end up being at first base or at DH. So I don't think this affects Mark Vientos all that much. Uh, looking at the shortstop prospects, 
really interesting options here. And there's a couple of mentions in the chat about some potential trades. I think we'll get to that in just a second because there's a there's quite a few options now you can make. And one significant target I can see them going after. But Ronnie Mauricio is the highest rated shortstop prospect in the system. Last I checked, I want to say he's it's it's between him and Jet Williams. So the thing with Ronnie Mauricio is uh, 2017 IFA last year in double A, 123 games, 259, 296, 472, 26 home runs, 58 extra base hits. 24 walks to 125 strikeouts in 123 games. So right about one a year, or one a game. And then 20 of 31 on stolen bases. Despite the below average speed, he's just very good at at like baseball instincts and knowing when he can go. Plus, when you think about pitch clocks and things like that in the minors, it gives you a hands up on trying to time it, trying to figure out when you go. But I've always seen Ronnie Mauricio as a guy who was likely to move to third base. Uh, plus arm, I think the defense at short is only maybe average. Uh, he could be an above average defender at third. So you're looking at a third base or a left field kind of scenario. Again, you have a third baseman now long term and a shortstop long term. So there is value at having somebody who can fill in at third base. I do think ba- Brett Beatty has the first shot to play left field and then fill in at third base if Correa misses time, if the bat comes back up, or whatever was flagged in the physical by the Giants, if that prevents him from playing every now and again. Mauricio is a guy who uh, shorts the uh, third base, left field, and then I think he's a trade candidate. He was he had a very good showing in winter ball. Calvin points out that he won, his, he won MVP where he, when he played winter ball. So I do think he's a trade candidate. We'll get to some of those in just a second. The other guy is Jet Williams, 2022 first rounder out of high school. Smaller guy, 5'8", 175. He very much uh, feels like he is a defensive first, a power ceiling limited shortstop. I feel like he is ab- he could absolutely could stick. Uh, his range isn't amazing. And so there is a possibility they would want to look at moving him into second. He did play center field uh, back in high school as well. He played both shortstop and center field. So I see Jet Williams as being somebody they would try to keep. They would try to keep him. They would develop him. He could be the second baseman of the future and the leadoff hitter. He's got plus speed, uh, plus hitting ability. The question I have is the cap on his power. Part of that's his size, but he's got on-base ability. He could get on. He could run, steal bases and let get guys behind him like a Correa, Lindor, Alonzo, uh, Vientos, Alvarez, let them drive him in. So uh, if I'm thinking about where, who gets moved, who are candidates to get moved, uh, one, with all of the catchers that we have here, you know, Omar Narvaez just signed. Obviously, you have Francisco Alvarez in the minors. Uh, James McCann feels pretty likely to move. I feel like you probably have to eat some of his money but McCann is likely to get moved. Darren Ruff is probably somebody you're willing to throw into a deal once you get Beatty up. But of these guys, to me, Ronnie Mauricio is probably the one that I'm offering to move if I'm the Mets, simply because you have more questions about his hit tool than a lot of other uh, prospects in the system. And something, uh, regular listeners to this show, and um, 
Shout out by four for pointing out he never misses a video. We appreciate that very much. Uh, but uh, regular listeners of this show know that your power tool is only as good as your hit tool. And of the four uh, left side of the infield prospects, Mauricio is the one that has the biggest question about where his hit tool is going to end up. He's one of the best athletes in the system, has the best infield arm in the system, but offensively, he just has some poor swing decisions sometimes. He swings too often to get ahead in the count, so he ends up being in a pitcher's count, and then he chases too much off of the plate. And if you look at his combined 21 and 22, he has over 800 plate appearances and uh, an on-base percentage of below 300. He's one of like, I, I want to say like 12 or 15 minor leaguers that has that many plate appearances and an on-base under 300. And so I genuinely think that and the fact that he's never actually played anybody or played anywhere in the minors other than shortstop he's probably the most likely bet to get moved in a deal because he has the farthest, the, mo- the most changes for them to make to develop him as an MLB player compared to a Beatty or Vietos or Williams. <clears throat> now, somebody in the chat mentioned, and I want to point this out, Beatty will be an angel when they trade for Otani in July. If... Shohei Otani gets moved. And I'm of the opinion that if the Angels are not in it at the deadline, they absolutely should move Shohei Otani. But if Shohei Otani gets moved, there is a 0% chance that the Mets are not in this deal. The Mets are absolutely making calls. They are by far probably offering the biggest package. And they are trying to extend him as soon as they get him before he hits free agency. Uh, When you look at this farm system, you've got a lot of position player talent, and some of it is a little bit redundant, right? You've got Francisco Alvarez and Kevin Parada. A lot of people like me that think Parada is going to end up moving off of catcher to first base or DH, but you've got some overlap here. Uh, You just signed McNeil long-term. You're talking about putting Beatty in left field. Alex Ramirez is a top five prospect for you. There's a very good possibility that Alex Ramirez could get moved to the Angels if they try to make a trade for uh, for Shohei Otani. So something to definitely watch. Um, I'm going to keep the live show going for a few more minutes. If you guys have questions, drop them in the chat. We'll try to answer the best we can as to what uh, what the Mets do, maybe what the Giants do, because at this point, We've talked about this on the show before. There's a lot of questions right now about uh, the shortstops are out there. All four of the big shortstops are gone. And so what the Giants do now, obviously, they still have Brandon Crawford for one more year. He cannot move to third base. He can stick at shortstop now. But there's questions about what does everybody do from here? Uh, there's a, I'm sure the Giants will be one of the teams calling the Orioles on Jorge Mateo. Ahmed Rosario of Cleveland's another guy that's been rumored to get moved. Uh, it's entirely possible you try to get one of the pitchers from them as well, a Shane Bieber or somebody like that. But overall, just an absolutely wild move to make. And know that this isn't necessarily done yet. You still He still has to take a physical with the Mets. Um, to ask a question, which, which prospects now have a shot for the Giants? So we went through 
some of the prospects uh, that were that were with the Giants on a show the other day, but you're in a situation where there's not really a ton of great shortstop prospects here. Marshall Luciano, obviously top prospect. That's the guy that you kind of think about uh, is the biggest beneficiary of this. He was already seen as a below average speed-wise with a plus arm. And so a lot of people kind of felt like he was going to have to move to third. Now, part of that is because he lost a key year of development because missing the 2020 season, and he just turned, like he played last season at age 19. So Marcel Luciano is probably the biggest beneficiary of this because he has a path to eventually be the shortstop in San Francisco. Just a lot of people have doubts about his fit at short, thinking he's probably going to have to play third base anyway. And at third base, you've got Casey Schmidt, who I think is the best defender, the best infield defender in that system. And he is, I mean, he's a no doubt, absolutely like sticking at third base, above average, if not elite third base defender. And so lots of questions now about, about what the uh, what the Giants do. I absolutely would expect them to prioritize shortstop in the draft pretty hard. When you look at some of the shortstops, you know, there are guys you can see in the first half of the first round as far as uh, draft prospects. Gonzalez from, from Old Miss. There's a couple different shortstops in here that you could go out and you could get. Uh, it was Jacob Gonzalez from Old Miss. That was the name. I couldn't think of Jacob. But... I could see, you know, Jacob Wilson from Grand Canyon, the shortstop from Grand Canyon. He's another option high up in the draft. Uh, but you're going to have to see the Giants prioritize shortstop in a way that they haven't prioritized it in a long time. They've had Brandon Crawford, obviously, for what? He's been the starter for 12 years now. And it's a situation where they just never really worked on drafting pure shortstops because they had Brandon Crawford. And the plan was, we're going to replace Brandon Crawford with one of these free agent shortstops on a long-term deal and just never have to worry about developing developing a new player. And now you've missed out on all the top shortstops and you don't have a slam dunk defensive shortstop in your system. So I expect the Giants to uh, look at multiple different avenues. Maybe it's a trade. Maybe it's Uh, It's trying to sign a veteran in free agency next year. If I remember right, next year's free agency class for shortstops is not a very good one. So the Giants are kind of in a hole here. Uh, Same thing with the Braves. The Braves are banking on Vaughn Grissom working out. And if he doesn't, you're kind of in a hole as well. So I do expect the Giants to try to make a trade to go get a young shortstop now that they've struck out on just about every possible option. Uh Woo, fun live show. Thank you all for joining the show. Uh, reminder, if you have questions for the show, if you want to uh, you know, s- send your questions, get your stuff to us, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can email us, LockedInTheMovieProspects at gmail.com. And uh, drop your questions in the new Locked in the Movie Prospects Discord. The link is going to be in the show notes in the episode description. Uh, that's where I found out that we had made the signing because about five people tagged me about three in the morning that Carlos Correa had signed. So as soon as I woke up, we jumped on that. Uh, there will be a show tomorrow. This is just a bonus for everybody. But until tomorrow's show, this has been Locked on MLB Prospects.